Welcome to Element Church. I'm so glad that you are here today. My name's Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at, uh, at Element. And whether you are joining us here in person or online, we are so glad that you are joining us here today. Uh, our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff Manis, is on sabbatical this summer. And actually right now, he is over in Israel on a uh, educational type trip that's part of this sabbatical, which is really, really cool that him and his wife, Sabrina, are able to do that right now. We're, we're so thankful for that. And uh, just encourage you to continue to pray for him, for his wife, Sabrina, for their family, that this summer, that this sabbatical be a, just a really great time of refreshment, renewal, and that God would bring them back here uh, ready to go to continue to lead this ministry into what God has next for our church. Uh, how many of you in the room have ever been in a fight before, like a real fight before? Okay, a handful of you. Now, if you know me very well at, at all, you're probably not very surprised to learn that uh, I've never been in an actual like fist fight. Okay, I know that doesn't surprise many of you in the room today. And uh, my wife, Aubrey, she's a lot like me. Like you look at her and you wouldn't expect that she would be someone that would get into a fist fight either. Like my wife, she's uh, she has a very innocent looking face. She's, she's absolutely amazing. And she's just uh, just very sweet, awesome person. You would never think, yeah, she would be a, a person to get in a fight. Well, she tells a story of a time where she was in elementary school and she had a problem with another student at this elementary school. There was a girl in her class that was bigger than her and just really mean to her all the time. And uh, on one particular day, when this girl was being really mean, she was bullying her and harassing her. And Aubrey finally got fed up with the harassment that she was experiencing. And so she decided she's going to do something about it. Like she was going to stand up for herself. She's going to stand up against the bully because if she didn't, then this harassment might never end. And so uh, as she was uh, experiencing this altercation with this other girl and experiencing this harassment, she, uh, she, she had this bold idea and she was courageous enough that she was going to stand up against her. And so she worked up her courage and she responded to the girl. She said, you want to take this outside? Now, if you know my wife at all, this is maybe a little bit difficult to imagine and because that's just not her, not her at, at all. And, and here's what happened next. The bully absolutely called her bluff, totally called her bluff, bluff and responded to Aubrey said, all right, let's go. And at that point, um, Aubrey, she kind of crouched down in the hallway there at the school into the fetal position and just began to cry. And that was the end. That was the end of the story. Probably continued to experience some harassment the rest of that year. Here, here's here's the, the thing. Some of us are meant to be fighters and some of us just are not meant to, to be fighters. Uh, there are some arguments that can be worked out uh, amicably and there's other arguments that, that just that just cannot. Uh, we are looking today at the book of Nahum. It is a very interesting book. It's a book of destruction. Like there was a problem in the city of Nineveh and the problem could not be resolved easily. And uh, if you didn't grab one of these cards today, be sure to grab one today. Uh, there's some high tables up by the auditorium entrances and we've got these cards. We've made one for every prophet that we're going through through this summer series. And it's got kind of a funny picture on the front of it and then some basic information about the prophet on the back of it as, uh, as well. 
Nahum is a prophet that speaks very clearly to one single subject, the destruction of the capital city of Assyria, which was Nineveh. Now, roughly 100 years earlier, the prophet Jonah hesitantly went into this wicked city of Nineveh, prophesying her destruction. However, the people of that city, we are told all of the people in that city, repented and turned to God in faith. Revival broke out everywhere, and God relented from destroying this city. By the way, uh, if you didn't hear the message that Pastor Brendan uh, preached two Sundays ago on the book of Jonah, be sure to go online and check that out. He did a fantastic job. He really did. In the book of Jonah... We saw the love and the goodness of God. We saw that God was giving this wicked city of Nineveh a second chance. And in the book of Nahum, we see the judgment of God. The scene is much different now. Nahum is prophesying the sure destruction of Nineveh, which comes true to the very letter. The theme of Nineveh is one of judgment and comfort. See, the Lord powerfully moves against his enemies, the Assyrians. They were a wicked and brutal people. However, in destroying this wicked nation, he was protecting his people, the Israelites. We see in Nahum that for God to be truly good and loving... He must be full of grace and justice. We we often see the love and the goodness of God as being opposite from judgment, but that's not true. To truly be good requires that God would also be just and that he would exercise that justice out of his goodness and his holiness. And we're going to see that in the message today. Tucked into this message of judgment and destruction is a promise of God's goodness upon those who will walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. The main scripture is Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, the whole chapter. And we're going we're gonna to kind of jump around to some of the different verses in this chapter. But verses 7 and 8 speak to the theme of this book. And it says this, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. But he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. As I've studied this book over the last month or so, I found that this book of Nahum, it really enlarges our perspective of God. And so whether you are new to the faith, whether you've been a believer for many, many years, or maybe you do not even yet believe in Jesus as your Savior, I, I hope and I pray that you will see this in the message today. The big idea is this. God is good even in judgment. The big question that we're going to ask and answer today is this. How does Nahum portray the goodness of God? And number one is this. God's goodness is punishment. The book of Nahum is really a sequel to the book of Jonah. 
In the book of Jonah, we see the Ninevites repent and turn to God in faith. There was a great revival in that place. Unfortunately, that revival was short-lived. This nation had grown even more wicked than before. They were a brutal and wicked nation. They were known for raping and killing women and children as they destroyed and plundered towns and villages. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says this, The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and rage. He takes revenge on all who oppose him and continues to rage against his enemies. The Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind of the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. The Lord is a jealous God. Not jealousy in the sense of envious, but jealous in the sense that he loves and he protects his people. He is slow to anger, and we see that in Jonah. The the Lord gave them a chance to turn to him. And And we also see, whether we like it or not, that God is going to judge sin and evil. He does not overlook it. Verses 8 and 9 says this, But he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. He will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. Why are you scheming against the Lord? He will destroy you with one blow. He won't need to strike twice. The sin and the brutality of this wicked nation of Assyria was deliberate, not accidental. God is just in destroying this nation. Verses 13 and 14 say this. Now I will break the yoke of bondage from your neck and tear off the chains of Assyrian oppression. And this is what the Lord says concerning the Assyrians in Nineveh. You will have no more children to carry on your name. I will destroy all the idols in the temples of your gods. I am preparing a grave for you because you are despicable. Wow. Talk about a downer, right? Like, I don't know who came up with this preaching schedule for this summer. I, I think it was Pastor Jeff, and I think he might be laughing at me right now, knowing, knowing about the content of, of this book. It's, it's a difficult book. And, and here's what we need to under, understand. Assyria was a brutal nation that was oppressing the people of Israel. And this, by the way, is most likely the reason why Jonah was so opposed to God showing mercy to these people. A good comparison would be the brutality of the Nazis during the Holocaust. By God destroying this wicked and brutal nation, he is protecting his people. This message is one of judgment for Assyria, but it is a message of hope for Israel. 
How many of you in the room are fathers today? Anybody, we've got lots of dads here in the room today. Uh, you know, fathers have a profound impact on their children, whether it's a good impact or, or not. And, and I know that when we, when we think about our own fathers, we all have a very unique experience, all have different experiences here in the room today. I'm very fortunate to have a great dad, and I, I still today have a really great relationship with my father. And, and I can remember... Remember, uh, growing up, especially at a young age, like that elementary school age, I can remember having a healthy fear of my dad. Like I wasn't afraid of him in a negative kind of way, but, but I had a healthy fear of my dad because I knew that if I was guilty of something and, and he found out about it, that he wasn't going to let me slide by, right? Like I, I knew, and many of you may have a similar experience, I knew that if dad found out about something, there was going to be some consequences and some punishment. Like my dad and, my, and both my parents, they actually have some standards, And as an elementary age uh, kid, I remember thinking that, man, my dad is such a killjoy, such a killjoy. Like all these friends of mine and stuff, they, they get to do anything they want. You know, they can watch whatever they want, any TV show they want or movie they want. They, they get to do whatever they want. Must be great to be them. And it's interesting now, isn't it, as an adult? Like if you have children of your own, you have a much different perspective. Because when I think back to that now, I realize that when my dad would punish me, Uh, for doing something wrong. And when my dad would withhold certain things from us and keep certain things out of our home, he was doing it out of his love for us. He was doing it because he wanted to protect us. And here's what I know. Good fathers, good parents, protect and punish their children, and they do so because they love their children. It's a very personal application that can be made for us here today. God is personally involved with our development. God protects and God punishes and he is fully good in both. Here's what we need to be reminded of today. God's sense of justice is more developed than yours and mine. His grasp on morality, what is right and what is wrong, is more developed than yours. His sense of love and mercy is so much more developed than ours. And in light of the fact that God does in fact punish, and that God does in fact protect The question that that I've just really felt impressed on my spirit this week that we should ask ourselves is this, do I trust in God? Do I trust in him? Like, do I trust in God for salvation by believing in Jesus Christ? Do I trust in God's word even when it's painful and I don't understand? Do I trust that God will use difficulty for my own development? Do I trust in God? God is good even in judgment. So how does Nahum portray the goodness of God? The first thing we see is that God's goodness is punishment. The second thing is this, God's goodness is power. In these few verses here, we see the power of God. First part of verse 7 says this, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. Verses four through six say this. At his command, the oceans dry up and the rivers disappear. The lush pastures of Bashan and Carmel fade 
and the green forests of Lebanon wither. In his presence, the mountains quake and the hills melt away. The earth trembles and its people are destroyed. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like fire and the mountains crumble to dust in his presence. First part of verse 12 says this. This is what the Lord says. Though the Assyrians have many allies, they will be destroyed and disappear. God's power is unmatched. It's unmatched. The Assyrians were a world power that dominated everything and everyone around them. And we're reminded here that even though their power was collected as one against the Lord... Their power was no match for God Almighty. And we also see that the world around us is at the command of our God. He can bring the floods that destroy a nation and he can split the sea in two so that his people can walk through on dry ground. God is good and he exercises his power in his goodness and in his holiness. When God judges, he doesn't do so out of a selfish anger like we are often guilty of. He does so out of his holiness and out of his goodness. God is a refuge for his people. A refuge speaks of protection. A stronghold is not built of paper walls. It is built of high walls of stone. Our God is a strong refuge. He is able to protect. Aren't you glad for that? Frontier Days is upon us. Who's excited? Some of us. Yeah, I just heard help us, Lord, over here. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Frontier Days. Now, maybe some of you are like, you love Frontier Days. Some of you are like, I hate Frontier Days. I can't wait to get out of town as soon as it starts. I I don't know uh, what your opinion is of Frontier Days, but maybe you have certain activities you like at Frontier Days. I'll, I'll tell you the two things that I enjoy most about Frontier Days. The first thing is kettle corn. Can I get an amen in this place? Yes, praise the Lord. I love me some kettle corn because it's delicious, absolutely delicious. The other thing that I really enjoy about Frontier Days, though, it's funny that both of these things have nothing to do with rodeos for me at all. But I love kettle corn and I love the Thunderbirds. Love watching the Thunderbirds. Every year, it's awesome. Like, I, I, feel, I feel every year when they fly around at the show and, and when they practice the whole week beforehand, um, I feel like I'm transported back to my childhood and I just want to make the noise noises, you know, and yeah, I'm just like in my driveway cheering out loud and stuff. It's awesome. I, I, I enjoy it every single year. It never gets old to me. And uh, uh, I remember the first year that we lived here, nine years ago, uh, I was riding my bicycle up by the airport on the bike path, uh, right along the airport there. And right as I was just riding along, just having a nice little leisurely, uh, you know, ride on my bike, one of those F-16s just took off out of nowhere and just, you know, and you're like, oh, it was awesome. You know, it was terrifying. I scared me half to death. I got wrecked and fell down. You know, just, it was awesome though. And, and I don't know about you, 
But like when I, when I see the Thunderbirds, you know, and I, I, you experience, especially when you're surprised by them, you know, you don't realize they're coming and then all of a sudden they're there and they're, you, you know, by the time you hear them, they're already gone, right? Like when I experience that, I don't know about you, but, but here's what I think. I'm so glad I'm not in their crosshairs, you know, because while I'd like to think I'm really fast on my bicycle, like if they're after me, I'm going to be a goner before I even knew they were there, right? Like you're gone. You have no hope at all. Absolutely no hope. Now, now here's the thing. I, I, it's a comfort to know that they're on your side, is it not? A little bit of a comfort when you see them and the power that, that is there. And they're not even dropping bombs or anything like that at the show here. That'd be sweet if they added that, by the way, to the show. Like, man, it'd be awesome. But it reminds you that, that it's, a little bit, it's, it's a little bit comforting to know that they're on your side. Now, I'm not trying to say that God's like an F-16 fighter jet. But here's what we need to know about God. He is our stronghold and our refuge. He is. And that ought to be a comfort to us today. It should be incredibly comforting to, to be reminded of this today that he is the place that we can go to in our time of need. He's the place we can run to when we don't have the answer. He's the place we can go to when all hope seems lost. So when's the last time you brought your problems to him? Is it possible that you have traded a self-help Christianity for the power of God. Now, don't get me wrong. I am the biggest believer in the fellowship that we have here in a local church. I am a huge believer in accountability and counseling and mentoring. Like God uses those things. I believe God's ordained those things. He's used them in my life. I know that for sure. But sometimes... Sometimes God is the last person that we've actually brought our problems to and our worries to and our struggles to and our sin to. Let me remind you of 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It says this, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that has the power to conquer the sin in our lives. So are we really praying are we really bringing our struggles and our worries to God? Are we really doing that? Because not only will he forgive us, but he has the power to deliver us from it. God is good even in judgment. So how does Nahum portray the goodness of God? God's goodness is punishment. His goodness is power. And then lastly, number three is this. His goodness is personal. Second part of verse seven says this, he is close to those who trust in him. Other translations say this, he knows them by name. It speaks of the personal nature of God. Let, let me remind you of this. God is omniscient, meaning he is everywhere. And God is transcendent, meaning he is above his creation. But check this out. He is also imminent, 
meaning he is personally involved in his creation. Like he actually cares about what's going on in our lives. He's actually involved in what we're going through. Verse 15 says this, Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feasts, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. Cell phones were not a reality in that day. And this verse speaks of a messenger who would physically bring a message and and news to the king. Judah will have reason to celebrate. The messenger this time is bringing good news that Assyria has been destroyed, that they will no longer be under the thumb of the wicked Assyrians. It was good news. Interestingly, This language is found three places in the scriptures. Obviously, it's here in Nahum. And here in Nahum, it refers to the nation of Judah being freed from the bondage of the Assyrians. Isaiah uses similar language. And Isaiah is referring to the destruction of another wicked nation, Babylon. But then the apostle Paul uses this language as well. And in the New Testament, Paul quotes this verse from Nahum many years later, and he makes an entirely different application. Listen to what he says in Romans 10, 14 and 15. It's awesome. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go tell them without being sent? Check this out. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the good news. I I think the most difficult part of preaching from these prophets is first understanding what the message meant in their day and then making an accurate application to our day. And in this case, Paul does a lot of the work for us here. The application that Paul makes points people to the freedom and the forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like you and I may not have an enemy nation breathing down our neck, But we do have sin that Jesus Christ wants to conquer in our lives. We do have an enemy, Satan, that has already been defeated by the work of Christ Jesus. We do have a redeemer, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the grave three days later, a redeemer that wants to invade every area of our lives and produce in us a new heart. That is the good news that Paul is speaking of. That's good news. This last school year, um, was my son Josiah's first like full year in school. And it was kindergarten this year. And he absolutely loved it, loved kindergarten. And there were, uh, there were lots of first experiences for both him and for us as parents uh, in kindergarten this year. Like uh, first ever 
Christmas program in kindergarten. Like, just awesome, change your life. The musical talent was just out of this world. And, you know, right? Like, some of your parents are like, man, you've got years ahead of these unbelievable Christmas programs, right? First Christmas program. Uh, you know, first time that I experienced as a dad being able to, to bring lunch to him in the school cafeteria, eat with all his buddies and that kind of thing. First field trip, lots of first experiences. It's also the first time that we experienced other children being mean to our child. Anybody have first experiences like that as a parent? It's a little bit painful, actually. Part of the way through the school year, um, we, we noticed, uh, found out that there were some, some kids that were being mean to our son. And my wife found, about it, found out about it right away. And, uh, you know, we, we noticed a very subtle sadness that was in Josiah when he would come home from school that, that didn't used to be there. And it really just, it broke your heart, you know? And... You know, it was interesting as we walked through this process of dealing with that and helping him with that and everything. And, and it was interesting because you could just kind of see the inner ninja begin, begin to emerge in my wife, right? Like she's about to take somebody out. And, you know, I thought I was going to have to keep her from the playground so that she wouldn't drop kick some kids on the playground, right? right? Because you don't mess with her boy, right? Like he's, she's going to go after you. And, uh, you know, we went through that whole process and it was really a pretty mild situation and, and not, not really that big of a deal. It was frustrating, heartbreaking, made, made, you wanna, made you wanna hurt some people as well. And like, but like I said, I've never been in a fight and I'm not gonna start it by punching any kindergarten kids or anything like that. <laughs> Be a great headline, wouldn't it? We walked through that situation. It's pretty mild and, and really it, it, it worked out pretty well. You know, it was a good experience for him to walk through that and to figure out what's the best way to respond and that kind of stuff. And it was a good experience for us as parents helping him walk through that, right? But here's the reality. Kids get made fun of at school every day, do they not? Like, and it doesn't change much as we grow up. Like people are mean, people are jerks and that's the way life is, right? Suck it up, right? That's, you know, that's kind of the way it is. Now, I don't actually think that. It breaks our heart, doesn't it? Like every day there are kids that are mean to other kids on the playground. And that bothers me, bothers me a lot. But why did we care so much more in this particular instance? Well, obviously we cared so much more because he's our son. Like I care about what he's going through because I care about him. He's my son and I love him. And I do just about anything to protect him and to, and, and to make sure I'm raising him in the way that God would want me to raise him. I care about him so much as, as, as his son. And I'll tell you something that every one of us is guilty of. We are all guilty of buying into the lie that God is only interested in the big, important issues in our life, but that he's not really that interested in the smaller issues of our life. That's a lie that we buy into sometimes. And uh, sometime last year, I was studying through the book of Philippians and there were two verses that really rocked my faith in a fresh way. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I I read that passage and I thought, pray about everything? Come on. I'm not gonna pray about everything. God's got bigger issues in this world to deal with than some of the small things that I'm worried about that I'm dealing with. Like my worries are small in comparison to the, the things that other people have got going on their, in their life where their life is falling down all around them. You know, God's a lot more concerned with those things than these small issues in my life. I just need to get over it. But that's not what this says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Here's what I know. The measure of peace in your life, in my life, is directly proportional to the measure of God in your life. The reason you don't have peace in your life and the reason sometimes I don't have peace in my life, instead we have worry, is because we haven't trusted God enough to allow him to take the reins of our life. This whole subject of God's judgment, it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around. I I get that. It's very difficult. But what I've discovered is that the judgment of God It shows us that God is good and that God actually cares about us, that he is not absent from his creation. He is intimately involved in creation. In fact, he died on a cross because he cares so intimately about us. God's goodness is punishment. His goodness is power and his goodness is, Praise the Lord is personal. I pray more than anything that that you would experience personally the power of God in your life. I pray that you would experience God obliterating the wickedness in your heart and that you would experience this personal God through the power of Jesus Christ that brings peace. Let's close in prayer today. Father, in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this message of Nahum. It is a difficult one, but Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for this great reminder that you are personally involved in your creation. That you desire to have a relationship with us that you desire to to do a work of power within us. Help us to be reminded of that today. And Lord, I pray that there would be many within the sound of my voice that would experience the peace that only you can give through your son, Jesus. We pray this in your good name. Amen.